Galatians 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by works of law or by hearing with faith? Skip down to verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive, watch this, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Father, the promise of the Spirit, I ask that you would explain to us But Lord, really my prayer this morning, more than explanation, more than knowledge, more than understanding, Father is revelation. I know I pray that a lot, but this is one of those teachings, Lord, where I know that the application of these things into each and every personal life, that's going to be up to you. You have much to teach us. May we have ears that lead directly to the heart. And Holy Spirit, we just hand this to you and ask you to work your will in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, well, what a weekend. Friday, January 20th, Americans in the world witnessed the peaceful transfer of power. As President Donald John Trump took the oath of office, becoming, you know, the 45th now President of the United States of America. Uh, President Trump raised his hand. He was sworn in on two Bibles. Perhaps you've read and heard about this. He was sworn in on Lincoln's Bible and on a Presbyterian Sunday School gift Bible that he received from his mother when he was a boy. There were more prayers offered in Jesus' name, at this inauguration, than at any inauguration in United States history. Now that, to me, is a good sign. I'm saying nothing of the man elected president, but I am saying that if that many prayers are offered, that is a good thing. And we need to continue to offer up prayers. By the way, I did for the last eight years. Offered up prayers on behalf of our president. I will continue to do so. That is one of the things that is an absolute responsibility of every Christian in this country, and that is to pray for our president. And so please continue to do that. The peaceful transfer of power. Well, yesterday wasn't quite as peaceful as Friday was. I was a little disappointed. Well, okay, a lot disappointed. That in the name of women, some of what took place in the Capitol Mall took place. Some of the things that were said, some of the obscenities that were spoken, uh, I I thought, wow, if if I was a woman, I would be embarrassed because of what was represented there. Find a protest if you want to. Find to disagree with what took place in, in the process. That's your freedom in this country. But I, I do wonder, 
at what has happened to civility and decency, manners. What are manners? I mean, do we even have manners anymore? Everybody's elbows are on the table. I mean, it's out of control. (laughs) But because of the increase of lawlessness, Jesus said the love of most would grow cold. And what's interesting is people often make a good start. It, It was a good start, I think, on Friday. Again, because of the prayers offered, because of the focus put back on the people, I think in many ways it was a really good start, but people often make a good start. It's what happens afterwards that matters. You know, everybody's saying it's the first hundred days. It's, it's really the next four years. That's what's going to matter with this current presidency. But this morning, what I want to really talk about is not that. I want to talk about another transfer of power. A peaceful transfer of power, but it's not only peaceful, it assures peace. A transfer of power that is not guaranteed by law, but by promise. doesn't come by legal tradition. No, this transfer of power comes by hearing with faith. By hearing with faith. You know, when Cheryl and I were married, it's 30 and a half years ago now, you might ask the question, how did we know it would last? How did you know it would last? It's very simple. We heard each other with faith. I heard her say, I do. I said, I do. We heard each other and we believed that that meant something. And we trusted that that was good. Foolish kids, some might say. Cheryl was 20 when we got married. She was a child. I was 21, grown and mature by that time. (laughs) Foolish kids. To be married at that age and think, oh, of course it's going to last. Some might say that. People do. That's just foolish optimism. You know, youthful romance is probably a fair statement, at least a fair argument when you're talking about human beings because humanity isn't exactly rife with faithfulness. So how can you know just by hearing with faith that anyone will ever be true? 1 Thessalonians 5.24, the Bible tells us faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, and we are, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So right at the beginning of this section of the letter, as Paul gets into the real teaching aspect, chapter 3 and chapter 4 is the doctrine of the letter to the churches at Galatia. And as Paul gets into this, he begins with hearing with faith. Hearing with faith. But understand, our hearing by faith is not safeguarded by our faith. It is safeguarded by His faithfulness. I can hear with faith and trust in the follow-through because He's the one who follows through. Because He is the one who is faithful. It is not my ability to keep faith. It is His faithfulness that brings confidence. And that being the case, isn't it more foolish not to hear and put faith in such a faithful God? When you know and you can trust in His faithfulness, Paul says, you foolish Galatians. And foolish, we talked about Wednesday night. He's not hammering them. He's not calling them morons. You know, that would be the Greek word for foolish in a harsh sense. But this is not that word. This here is more, it's a word that means you did understand at one time, but you're no longer applying that understanding. You know better. 
Paul is saying. You, you, you foolish Galatians. And then he follows this, and we broke it down on Wednesday night, with six rhetorical questions in the first five verses of chapter 3. And all six questions beg the final answer that he gives at the end of the final question. Did he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of law or by hearing with faith? And the answer is clear, by hearing with faith. That's how it's done. That's how anyone and everyone begins with Jesus. That's how it starts. I mean, it truly is. And I'm talking primarily to a group of Christians, so you know this. But that is how simple it is. It's like saying, I do. It's just a moment where you turn to God and say, Okay, alright, I accept, I believe. I believe that this is you. I believe that this is true. I have heard the word and so I respond. That's how we begin. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Romans 10.17 But what is Paul really asking here? What's he really getting at in these five verses and, and in this section as he goes forward? What was the promise that came by hearing with faith. Verse 2. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you, watch this, did you receive the Spirit by the works of law or by hearing with faith? Did you receive the Spirit? You see, the peaceful transfer of power comes by the reception, the receiving of the Holy Spirit. I told Les a few minutes ago, this is one of those passages that I have read many times in my life and I never saw that before. I always saw by hearing with faith. And so I understood that to mean that I become a Christian by hearing with faith. And you do. And that's true. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about just becoming a Christian. He's talking about receiving the Holy Spirit, the peaceful transfer of power. The coming of the Holy Spirit into a life. Did you receive the Spirit by working for Him? By becoming holy and righteous and settled within yourself as a good person? Or did you just believe? Paul's saying, Oh foolish Galatians, remember, all you did was hear and believe. And in so doing, you received the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now this is so important, so absolutely vital. In fact, I would call it the key to the entire book of Galatians. The theme of Galatians is grace, but the key to living in grace is the reception of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, the involvement of the Holy Spirit in your life. Without the Holy Spirit, you do not have grace. You can't. And without the Holy Spirit, you can't walk in grace, not truly understanding grace. He, the Spirit of the living God, is the single guarantor of grace. The guarantor of grace. The sure evidence. It's not adherence to a constitution that provides us with grace. It is not the keeping, Paul would say, of Torah law that provides you or brings you to grace. No, it is the work of the Spirit. He's the guarantor. Now, I'm a guarantor. I'm a guarantor of my mortgage. I have guaranteed the bank that I will pay back my mortgage. 
Even if I am faithless, he remains faithful. So, so far, so good. I am the guarantor on my son's and my daughter's student loans. I'm the guarantor. That's a little more shaky. Because if they don't pay up, Papa pays up. Right? I'm the guarantor on that. I guarantee that these things will be paid in full. Here's the difference. The Spirit guarantees my sins were paid in full. The Spirit guarantees Jesus paid it all, and the Spirit is now the guarantor of grace in my life. And it's more than a past tense thing, more than something that happened. It's what is happening and continues to happen. And too many Christians do not understand this. Too many of us, and I put myself in this category, have taken years to comprehend this very simple truth that should come by hearing with faith. Some Christians don't even recognize the Holy Spirit. Or or recognize Him as a past tense thing. A power that was present perhaps in the first century. Others, when they consider the Holy Spirit, (laughs) they just give Him grief. Ephesians 4.29, Paul says... And I would think about this as applied to yesterday in Washington, D.C. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, Madonna. But only such as is good for edification according to the need. So that, why? So that it will give grace to those who hear. And then Paul writes in Ephesians 4.30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't grieve the Spirit. Which tells you that the Spirit can be and is grieved. That the Spirit of God does feel the hurt and the difficulty of grief. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Worse, I believe, than grieving the Holy Spirit is extinguishing or suppressing His influence through our own unbelief. And again, there's a lot of that, even among Christians. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. You quench the Spirit in your life, you deny the Spirit in your life, you ignore the Spirit in your life, and you are cutting off the supply of power that allows you to live in grace. Do not quench the Spirit. To do so is tantamount to quenching, again, the divine work of grace in the Christian life. And Jesus went so far as to say in Matthew 12, 31, Blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. All other sin is forgivable, He says. This one is not. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit is the guarantor of grace. Blaspheme Him disbelieve Him, cut Him off. And what are you doing to the grace that has been given to you? He's the one who maintains grace. He's the one who works grace in your life, through your life, both now and on into eternity. The guarantor of grace. And so Paul comes along and he trumpets grace. He's the one who said, 2 Corinthians 3.17, The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So you can't even talk about the grace of God without talking about the Spirit of God. Because where the Spirit is, there is liberty. There is freedom. There is grace. The Spirit is the one who is working all these things. So in this letter to the churches of Galatia, we should not be surprised, since Paul's theme is grace, we shouldn't be surprised to see that the Holy Spirit is prevalent throughout the letter. 
that he is referred to and mentioned many times. And what I want to do this morning with the rest of our time is consider all those times in the entire letter to think through the mentionings, the references to the Holy Spirit and and try and understand a bit of, of what this means. Several ways the Spirit guarantees grace specifically in this letter this morning. So picking up again in verse 3, he says, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Having begun by the Spirit. So the first thing, if you're a note taker, you might jot down his identity. Having begun by the Spirit, identity. What was the single identity marker of Israel? What was the marker of identity? Now, you could actually come up with a couple of different things. Some would say Sabbath. Sabbath. You know, it's not that the people keep the Sabbath, but it's the Sabbath that keeps the Jews. That's a famous phrase. So some might say, well, Sabbath is the identity of Israel. Others would say the law. Torah. That's the identity of God's people. Still others would say, no, it's circumcision. I mean, that is the mark, truly, of identity. Well, now the identity marker of God's people is His Spirit. That's what identifies me as a Christian. Not me saying, I'm a Christian. Not the t-shirts with the logos and the designs and the crosses, you know. I think I I said years ago, I I had a really cool long sleeve, bright yellow t-shirt. Hey man, it was the 80s. And in red lettering I had printed across it, ain't Jesus good. You know, it was a song we used to sing as kids. Hey, Jesus good. You know, and I, and I would wear that. I loved it because, you know, people would ask questions. What are you talking about there? That's not what made me a Christian. And that's not what maintains the grace in my life. And that's not what distinguishes me as the identifying mark of my Christianity. No, it is that I have been born again by the Spirit. The Spirit is my identity. Now, keep your finger there. Go back to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, which I would call the seminal teaching on the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And again, given by Jesus. And he's there with Nicodemus. And in verse 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And he's talking very clearly of two births, water and the Spirit. The birth of water is the birth of flesh. The water breaks, the baby soon follows. Well, the baby doesn't break, but the baby soon, you know, is born. Water, born of water, born of flesh, and born of the Spirit. And he says, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it. You do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And that is how it all started. That's how if you claim Christ today, if you say, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm among that group of people who call themselves Christians, your identity marker is the Spirit because the Spirit is the one who began your journey. Right? You were born again. Born of the Spirit. And with that birth began the peaceful transfer of power. Which you could also call the powerful transfer of peace. 
Either way, it works really well. And Paul goes right back to the Spirit. The Spirit who gives us this this new identity. And it's an identity that now continues to define me in Jesus. As Paul writes in Galatians 3.28, Neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, Seahawk nor Packer, all are one. In Christ Jesus. And it's the Spirit who does this. Gordon Fee wrote, At the time of the Galatians' conversion, God marked them as His children by sending His Spirit into their hearts, who enabled them to cry out, Abba, the personal language of Jesus. Oh, I like that. Abba, that's Jesus' talk. That's Jesus' word for the Father. Up until then it was, Bow, Heavenly Father. Thy divine, great, and holy God. You know, Jesus comes along saying, Abba! Abba! Father! Dad! He says, and note this, go back to Galatians, skip over to chapter 4, verse 6, because you are sons, Paul writes, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba! There's an identity there that is worked out by the Spirit of the living God. And Paul repeats this in his letter to the church at Rome. Romans chapter 8, verse 15, he says, You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And listen, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. As a little kid growing up, every time I heard my full name in school, Ricky Crawford, I knew because of the Crawford that I belonged to my dad. It was my identity marker. Now the Spirit has become my identity marker. Not only to identify me as different in this world, but to identify me as belonging to Jesus myself. I mean that I know I belong to Jesus His Spirit testifies with my spirit, tells me, reminds me, assures me, encourages me. I belong to Him. I'm one of His. I'm a son. Oh, we'll get into that on Wednesday night. But the Spirit is the one who guarantees identity. Second, intentionality. Intentionality. The Spirit guarantees the intentionality of God. Again in verse 3, He says... Having begun by the Spirit, so I I begin, I receive that identity. He says, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And the implication is very simply that I am being perfected by His Spirit, not by my flesh. And this is absolutely huge, I believe, in the Christian walk. I am not being perfected by my flesh. That is not how this works. I am being perfected by God's divine intentionality. He started it. He's going to finish it. He is the one working it out in my life. Skip down to verse 13. Christ redeemed us, past tense, from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And again in verse 1, skip back. He said, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? So this is the past tense thing. It happened. It's a done deal. I'm saved by faith in Christ Jesus. I'm redeemed. I began with the Spirit. But then he goes on in verse 14 to say, In order that 
in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Divine intentionality. See, that's what a promise is. It's an intention to follow through. And God made a promise. And the promise was long ago. In fact, it came through the prophets over the years. The promise that it would not be by human effort, but by the, the power and the involvement of His Spirit in our lives, that grace would begin to work out among us. It's His work, not mine. Isaiah, the prophet, chapter 44, verse 3 Quotes the Lord saying, I will pour out water on the thirsty and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And they will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. You don't have to be popular, just be a poplar. <laughs> by streams of water. So we're continuing continuing to be fed by the living water of the Spirit as we grow in the Lord. It's the Spirit who grows us up. And that was the promise. I'm going to give you my Spirit. Now to a Hebrew in the days of Isaiah, that would be like, what? (laughs) I mean, think about it. What was their experience of the Holy Spirit? Of the Spirit of God? The closest they got was the Shekinah glory that filled the temple. The closest they got to the Spirit was that sense of the divine, the cloud by day, the fire by night, the Spirit leading them through the glory of God. Wow, that's the Spirit. And then Isaiah says, oh, yeah, the Lord told me to tell you all that's going to be in you. What? That's the promise. Ezekiel, over in Babylon, prophesied the same thing. Ezekiel 36, 27, the Lord says, I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes. Who causes us to walk? He does. And you will be careful to observe all My ordinances, which is an impossibility, unless the Spirit is in Me. Unless the Spirit is doing it. You realize what a huge promise that is for Israel? That means in the millennial kingdom with the presence of the Spirit of God that people will walk by the law because of the Spirit. They will keep the law. We will be enabled to keep the law. Why thought Jesus fulfilled the law. He did. And in fulfilling the law, He made it possible by His Spirit for us to follow all the statutes of God and observe all the ordinances. And then 500 years later, after Ezekiel... It began to rain. It was ten days until Shavuot in Jerusalem, the feast of the ingathering, or as we know it, the day of Pentecost. You might want to turn in your Bibles back to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Ten days until the feast, 40 days into that 50-day period, 50 days from Passover to Shavuot, which is why we call it Pentecost 50. And so, during this time, we're 40 days in, the apostles are there, they're with Jesus. He's been meeting with people for 40 days, which is just marvelous. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, gathering them together, He, that is Jesus, commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, He said, you heard from me, 
For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And I'd like to point this out. For those who are uncomfortable with the phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to talk to Jesus because he's the one who said it. He's the one who defined it as such. John the Baptist also said he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. But here, Jesus, right before his ascension, says to the apostles, the Holy Spirit, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. That will happen right after Donald Trump is elected president. Verse (laughs) 8. Kidding. Of course, I'm kidding. Maybe not. I don't know. It's going to happen soon, I think. But, verse 8, here's the thing. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth, even as far out as Galatia, or Macedonia, Europe, the West, you will become my witnesses, empowered by my Spirit. My Spirit will come upon you. Now that's interesting Jesus says the Spirit's going to come upon you. But I read back in John chapter 20 that Jesus breathed on the apostles and said, Receive my Spirit. What does that mean? Well, that means they already had His Spirit. In fact, I believe in that upper room on Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus said, Receive my Spirit, the disciples gathered there were born again. In that moment. Not on the day of Pentecost. Well... So, but the day of Pentecost, I mean, if they already had the Spirit, now Jesus is saying, I want you to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I could just see Peter raising his hand saying, um, what was that whole breath thing? Because I thought you already did that, and Jesus would have to then clarify, and I think Jesus probably would just repeat himself, no, I just said, wait until the Spirit comes upon you. It's a different thing, my friends. And so they waited. They gathered, they huddled, they prayed a lot. At one point, they played a little game of casting lots to see who they thought the next apostle was going to be. And then it happened. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. This is verse 1. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Remarkable. Skip down to verse 17. Peter explains what's going on. After this rushing mighty wind, after all the apostles, and it wasn't gibberish, by the way, what they were speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit. They're praising God, they're worshiping God, and all those gathered around the house, which I think was probably the temple, all those gathered around were hearing what they were saying in their own languages. Remarkable. What's happening here? They were hearing it clearly. And then and then Peter stands up and says. Listen, listen, I'll tell you what's going on here. And he quotes the promise of another prophet. That is the prophet Joel. Verse 17, quoting from Joel 2, 28, Peter says, It shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all... Your Bibles may say mankind, the word is flesh. On all flesh. Now that is humanity. 
And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my bond slaves, both men and women. I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And... And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in that one promise, we have the beginning Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to begin all the way up to the very end. That is the day of the Lord. And what defines all of that time from beginning to end is in the church the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. That is our identity and it is God's intention to empower you to live the life He's called you to live. Ever struggle with the whole Christian thing? Trying to be a good Christian. I think from time to time of the old Rich Mullins song, uh, it's hard. It's hard to be like Jesus, he sings. Oh, it's hard. Lord, it's hard to be like Jesus. Anyone feel that from time to time? This is a little tougher than what I thought I was signing up for. A few of you raise your hands. The rest of you are fibbing. <laughs> it is hard. It is challenging. And listen, every time... I try to do it in the flesh. Every time I try to work the problem, it gets hard. You know when it's not? When I allow the divine intentionality of God to simply do it. When I sit back and allow the Spirit to be at work in my life, the promise of the Spirit, God's divine intention, this is absolutely vital to living a life of grace. Listen, I said this Wednesday night, only the Spirit can birth Spirit. Only the Spirit can produce Spirit. Flesh never has, flesh never will. Again, Jesus said, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. It has always been God's intention to perfect us by His Spirit. It is not His intention for anyone to be perfected by flesh. That is, by cleaning up your act. By getting your stuff together. You know, pulling yourself together. As if, as if I can make myself holy so that spiritual power will come. That's the misnomer. That's the misunderstanding. Even among charismatic circles, that's a problem in thinking. If I can be clean enough and holy enough and good enough, then the power of the Holy Spirit will come because then my life can be the perfect temple for the Spirit to reside in. And that's wrong thinking. I can't clean myself up. That's why I need this Spirit. He is the ultimate house cleaner. He comes in and He is the one who makes me holy and continues to work that holiness in me. And yet we think, no, it's attending the right rituals. It's being sure that I am maintaining those daily devotionals. It's joining the right denomination. Is this the right church? Is that the right church? We're looking for the right church. Are you the right church? Any church that tells you they're the right church is the wrong church. It's not by wearing the right clothing or having the right demeanor. It's not holy underwear. (laughs) 
You know, you laugh. And yet in Mormonism, that's a thing. you got to wear the holy underwear. What happens if I don't? I mean, seriously? It's works. And cults are all about the works of the flesh. And religion is all about the work of the flesh. And they can never produce spirit. Only the spirit can produce spirit. Flesh can only get flesh. In fact, tell you what, skip over to uh, Galatians chapter 6. In the final chapter of the book, Paul says, verse 8, Galatians 6, 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Sow to the flesh. Work on the flesh. Make it all about the flesh. Make yourself righteous. Work hard. Try hard. Be religious. And you know what you're going to get? More flesh. Because the more I sow to the flesh, the more flesh I see there is that needs sowing. And it's a messy business. No, sow to the Spirit. And from the Spirit you will reap eternal life. So why then do we Christians keep trying to perfect our spiritual lives by the flesh? Why do we do this? On the other hand, why does any Christian ever despair in the flesh? Why is it that we keep doing things we know we shouldn't? Why is it that sometimes we feel like the Christian life is hard Why do we despair over these things? Well, even Paul did, briefly, to make a point. Paul said in Romans 7.24, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Oh, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God. A lot of us are there. A lot of people. Man, I'm, I'm thinking it through. I'm working it, trying to do what's right. I'm all, it's all soul. I'm just living in the soul. Paul says, in my mind, I'm trying to serve the law of God. But on the other hand, with my flesh, I'm serving the law of sin. So I've got my flesh being sinful. I've got my mind trying to work it out. And depending on the day, I'm either serving one or the other. I'm either in the flesh or in the soul. But, but Paul continues... And says in Romans 8 verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why, Paul? How does that work? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. I'm working out the law of sin in my mind. And in my body I'm trying to avoid the law of death. And all the while God's saying, my spirit can do this. I transfer my power into you so that I can work these things in you and through you. You began that way by the Spirit. So now live that way. Now you may be sitting there thinking, as I talk about this, that sounds great. Okay, good, I'm in. I I receive the Spirit. I accept that I need to live by the Spirit. How do I do that? Okay, so what do I do? And that's the wrong question. See, that's the flesh talking. What do I do? It's not about what you do. Well, then what's the point? Listen, you don't do anything. But Jesus said in Luke eleven nine, 9, Ask, 
and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And, and you know, in all three of those words, you Greek students understand this. It's keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. It is an ongoing process. I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking. I'm not doing anything. I am just asking, and Jesus says it will be given. You will find it will be open. For everyone who asks receives. And everyone who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And then Jesus says this, Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And maybe, perhaps, the problem in tough, hard Christian living is we're trying too hard and we're not just stopping and saying, Lord, I can't do this. Father, I need Your Spirit today to walk me through today. You know you can do that right now. Right here. You don't even have to listen to the rest of the teaching. You can just be talking to God. You can just be asking Him for His Spirit. Well, wait, but I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. His Spirit was given to me when I first gave my life to Jesus, right? So I have His Spirit. That's not what I'm saying. Of course you have His Spirit. In the same way that the apostles had His Spirit before Pentecost. But you can ask for Pentecost. You can ask, you can seek, you can knock for the Spirit to come upon you. And when the Spirit comes upon you, you now have the peaceful transfer of power to live in grace. Instead of works. God gave you His Spirit when you became a believer. So I believe that even if you work hard at it all your life and fail miserably, you still can be saved. How much better to walk in the Spirit and in grace? How much better instead of all the striving to walk in grace? See, this is not a feeble offer. By Jesus, This is not a weak and limited thing. How much will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? In fact, number three in our list here, we go from identity, intentionality. Number three is intensity. This is real power. This is the real deal. Back in Galatians chapter 3 verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain... So then, does He who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of law or by hearing with faith? Paul is reminding them of something. How they started and what they saw and experienced as they began with the Spirit. There was power there. There was the profound presence of God. Paul refers to it. It was undeniable. He says, don't you remember what happened? Think back to what was going on. And we know if you want to go back and read Acts chapter 14, you can see what was going on in Galatia at this time. Luke details signs and wonders that were being done there in southern Galatia. In the cities of Iconium and Lystra. Remember in Lystra what happened? Paul's walking by and there was a guy who was lame from the womb. He had never walked a day in his life. And Paul says, hey, rise and walk in the name of Jesus. And the guy gets up. He's walking around and the Listerines are freaking out. (laughs) Also known as the town of good breath. But the people of Lystra, they're like, a God is among us. They begin to call uh, Paul and Barnabas gods. 
You know, they even named him the great gods. And they began to worship them. And Paul's like, no, uh-uh. no, knock it off. This is not me. And what's remarkable in Acts 14 is pretty quickly thereafter, I believe within the same day, they were stoning Paul to death. Well, that's interesting. How fickle is our worship? <laughs> worship man one day and the next day they're killing him. And after they stoned him, I do believe to death, all the disciples, remember, gather around Paul and they're weeping and they're mourning and we've lost Paul and he oh, gets up. Let's go back into Lystra. And in he goes. Don't you remember the power of the Spirit? The intensity of the Spirit? Understand what Paul is saying is that the coming of the Holy Spirit was a dynamic and supernatural experience. The outpouring of the Spirit. And Paul describes it as a tangible reality. You saw God at work. And then he asks this question, What did you do to bring that about, Gentiles? What did you do to cause that miraculous, supernatural work of the Spirit? Did you get yourself all holy? Did you wrap yourselves in white robes and go to the top of a mountain and just wait? Or did you believe in faith? Did you hear? And I believe the Spirit still comes with intensity. I believe the Spirit still radically changes lives, radically impacts us, radically empowers us to do what we cannot do otherwise, live in grace. The biblical word ascribed to the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. And my friends, listen, please hear me on this. It was not the power that day to speak in tongues. That's not the power. That's child's play. That's tinker toys. What was the power? The power is what changed Peter and James and John and the apostles to live radical lives for Jesus and to never stop. That was the power. And they lived by that power and in that power. It was a power, yes, that performed miracles to the point that Peter walked by and his shadow fell across someone and they were healed. That's power. It was power of conviction and power to speak the Word of God in in a, a testimony that would change the world. That is power. And it's intense. And the Spirit of God does that. And a lot of us as Christians walk around in our lives going, well, I'm just not doing very much for Jesus and I really don't know what to do. I'd like to do something, but I just don't know what to do. That's because you're not functioning in the power. The peaceful transfer of power, I believe, defines exactly what happens when the Spirit comes upon us with intensity. Are you struggling to live just as a Christian? Now, we we still think if I just pray hard enough, or wait long enough, or concentrate rigorously enough, and I say, enough already. Trying too hard. Did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by hearing with faith? And so I come right back to Jesus' words. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Some here this morning, I guarantee it. In fact, probably a large number of people are going, I don't know if I've ever had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm not even sure what that means. <laughs> Skip Heitzig tells a story. I've been listening to Skip recently, and, and he, it's funny. He said he was born again and didn't even know what it was. I can relate to that. He said he was 
running away from Christian friends who were, you know, Jesus freaks, trying to get him to become a Christian. He didn't want to become a Christian. He was pushing away from that. Goes up to San Jose. He's staying with his brother in his brother's apartment. And one night, he's watching TV, drinking a beer, and watching Billy Graham. (laughs) And he said, something happened, and it wasn't the beer. It's funny, he even clarified. He said, I had like two sips and then I set it down. So you can't blame the alcohol. But he said, I'm watching Billy Graham and I I begin listening and suddenly it started to make sense to me. So I went into my bedroom and I got down on my knees and I prayed. And he said, everything changed. But I didn't know. I didn't know what had changed. I didn't even know how to explain it. He said for like two weeks after that, I walked around trying to figure out how to explain what happened when I asked God just to come into my life. I didn't even know. And then a friend of mine who was a Jesus freak was trying to convert me. (laughs) And and he said, you've got to be born again. And he goes, wait, wait, what would you say? You've got to be born again, Skip. Wait, what? That's the word. That's it. That's what happened to me. He said, finally I had a phrase that I could use that explained what had happened to me. I was born again. And beyond being born again, there's so many who are just just waiting, not even sure how to define the coming of the Holy Spirit. I don't care. You know what? You don't have to call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't call it that. If that makes you weird, that freaks you out, that's too charismatic, don't call it that. That's fine. I mean, Jesus did, but you don't have to. When you keep asking and you keep seeking and you keep knocking, what are you asking for? The Spirit of the living God. You're just asking the Spirit to do what you know you can't. And you keep asking for Him to do it. Because, well, none of us are the guarantors of grace. Do you want to be in charge of guaranteeing guaranteeing your grace? Do you want to stand before God on that final day and say, well, I'm here and I did pretty good. Let's go over the list. Because God will go, okay, that's pretty good. Let's go over the other list. (laughs) Do you want to guarantee your grace? Or do you want the Spirit of the living God to be your guarantor? See, I want the Spirit. Well, that's great. So I go to Him. He guarantees my grace. What do I need the church for? Great question. Thanks for asking. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Again, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free man, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So there is an allness becoming oneness in Christ Jesus. There's an indication of a community right there. But skip ahead to chapter 5, verse 16. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And again, the the question arises. That sounds really good and spiritual and preachy, but what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Well, he's going to tell you. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another so that you may not do things the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Note that the Spirit doesn't drive. He leads. He is gentle. He brings you along. He goes first. You're not under law. Verse 19, Now the deeds of the flesh, these are evident, which are immorality, impurity, 
sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the flesh. That is the flesh at work. But, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Those are the two things. Live by the Spirit. I began with the Spirit. Now walk by the Spirit. I am being perfected by Him. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. Okay, so here's the thing. Number four, inclusivity. Inclusivity. We're going to look at this passage more closely in a couple of weeks, but just get this this morning. The fruit of the Spirit is cultivated in relationship. That's where it happens. You don't hole up in a monastery somewhere and cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, there are certain attitudes you could pray through and, and, and certain things perhaps that might be developed, but it's hard work. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is developed right here. Right among us, love, joy, peace. These things are the sweetest when they are shared. Patience, kindness, goodness. These things happen in fellowship. What, are you just patient with yourself? Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Every one of these nine varieties are produced in relationship. That's where it happens. In the fellowship of believers. And by the way, there are also some sure ways to quench the Spirit. In fellowship. Cultivate the stink berries of selfishness. Grow wormy apples of anger and aspersion. Farm rotten produce of division. Now you can cultivate the bad as well as the good. You can work in the flesh. Churches do I have a a personal sensitivity to friends and family of mine who have been booted from church or fired from church. I have a personal problem when any church fires a pastor because they want to go a new direction. I'm sorry, I think that's sin. It's wrong. When churches divide because they're living in the flesh and the flesh says we have a certain strategy, we have a program, we have a plan to live by and here we go and we're going to make this happen and it's all works of flesh and it is not walking by the Spirit. And so the produce is rotten. But the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, man, that's borne out in those nine varieties. Again, we'll go over them. They're so valuable. We don't have time this morning to do it. But where there's unity, where there's community, where there is fellowship, the fruit of the Spirit is sweet and abundant and flourishing. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul writes, Be diligent. I like the phraseology here. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, can that fruit... The fruit of the Spirit, let's can it and make preserves. Preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
Make preserves that will last all the winter months of the church age. By the way, I have mentioned this verse, I think, every week for the last several. But I believe that it is prophetic. Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 11. Behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers have appeared in the land. The time has arrived for pruning. And the voice of the turtle dove has been heard in our land. The turtle dove is the Hebrew word for dove. The voice of the dove. Have you heard the voice of the dove? The dove throughout Scripture is the Holy Spirit. And when we begin to hear the voice of the dove, you know what we know? Winter is over. Spring is coming. Summer is near. The vines are ripening. The time has arrived for pruning. Are we listening as a fruitful fellowship to the voice of the dove? The Spirit. I think we're running out of time for canning fruit, honestly. I think right now it's time to pick the fruit, harvest the fruit, share the fruit, and head for home. Because of where we are in this season. Which brings me to number five. And that is imminency. The Spirit guarantees all that we have been discussing and the Spirit guarantees the imminency that is the soon coming of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verse 5. I know we're jumping around the letter, but we're trying to see all the mentions, all the references to the Holy Spirit here. Galatians 5.5 5, For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. What's the hope of righteousness? Calling home by Jesus. Rapture of the church. Going to be with Him. Our salvation. Our fulfilled redemption. The hope of righteousness. And guess what? It's through the Spirit that we wait with hope. Paul says in Ephesians 1.13, In Him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And now there's a new promise. The old promise was the promise of the Spirit. The new promise is that the Spirit is going to see us through to our day of redemption. To our going home. Ephesians 4.30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed For the day of redemption. And Fee says this, absolutely presuppositional to Paul's understanding is the Spirit as the main eschatological reality. Now, Fee's a theologian. But let me explain what he just said. The Spirit is the main eschatological reality. That is, He is the certain evidence that the future has begun and He is the guarantee of its consummation. The Spirit guarantees the coming of Christ. And the Spirit guarantees to me that Jesus is coming and coming quickly. And where the Spirit of the Lord is heard and believed, people are far more alert to the coming of Jesus. I mean, you can test that one. Look at churches. Churches that believe in the Holy Spirit, that welcome the work of the Holy Spirit in and among them, are far more dialed into the second coming are far more excited about going home to be with Jesus. Churches that deny the Spirit or speak little of the Spirit tend to not think a whole lot about the Second Coming, except that it may happen someday. But until then, we got a lot of work to do. The imminency of Jesus is 
revved up, if you will, is encouraged, is fired up in our hearts by the Spirit of the living God. Well, we have covered every reference to the Spirit in the book of Galatians with with one little exception that we're going to look at on Wednesday night. But in all these references, what it comes back to is simply this. The Spirit of God is the guarantor of the Father's grace in and through the Son. Spirit is the guarantor of the Father's grace in and through the Son. It is not men at work. It's Him at work. The work's got to be done. Don't get me wrong. There is work to do and the work must be done. But we're not the ones who are able to do it. The Spirit is. And there's no angelic agent that does the work. There's no human mediator like Moses. There's, there's no Gabriel, G- Gabriel like the, the angel. There's no pastor. There's no prophet. There's no priest. There's no other go-between or proxy. The Spirit of the living God literally residing in God's people does God's holy work. We desperately need the Spirit or we will never accomplish what God has intentioned for us to accomplish. Now again, this this concept is absolutely amazing. Because for all the spiritual guarantees of the Spirit, which are more than enough, the Spirit is God's immediate empowering presence in my life. He's not just out there. He's in here. And that means, and this is the last point, intimacy. For all these other things, don't miss the intimacy See, I think this is really where the peace comes. This is where the joy is. The reality of the Spirit of Jesus residing in me is intimacy. You want to test it? Let me give, I'm going to give you a little litmus test. You can see right now, this morning, as you sit here, if the Spirit of Jesus is in you, dwelling in you. How do we do that? Look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 one more time. Paul writes, because you are sons, you are sons, ladies, I know, I know. But as I've said, if I have to be called the bride, you have to be called sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, an heir through God. Here's the test. You can't say Abba unless the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Son, resides in you. So what's the test? The test is this. You want to check your awareness of the Spirit? Say Abba to God. I'm not trying to change the way you pray. I'm just saying, say Abba to the Father. How do you feel? This is completely subjective, I know. But I think it needs to be. This better be personal. This better be something we can actually feel emotionally or we're missing something. It's not all about emotion, but I'll tell you what, the presence of the Spirit in my life is emotional because it's intimate that He is here. So say Abba. And what does your heart do when you say Abba? Abba. See, for me, and this is personal, When I say Abba, when I pray Abba, I am overwhelmed with the peace of my Father. The Spirit of... Some might say, well, Rick, 
I was born into a brutal family. I had a horrible example of a father here on earth. You know what? You're not alone. Many, many people have. But when the Spirit of God resides in you and you say, Abba, it's a completely different experience than talking about your earthly dad who may not have been so good. Abba, what happens? What do you hear? What do you feel? Where the Spirit resides, the Bible tells us, the intimacy of sonship, of daughtership is felt. Abba. So, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Or would you prefer to receive the peaceful transfer of God's power by the Spirit, in the Spirit, and through the Spirit of Jesus? If so, why not just ask Him this morning? Let's pray together. Father, it seems too easy. It's just so simple that we might ask and receive the outpouring of Your Spirit. Father, I want to pray first. I begin praying for those who have never received Your Spirit. Who have not been born again. I don't know if there's anyone in the auditorium this morning in those shoes. I suspect there is, and I suspect next service there will be as well. In fact, I pray for it, Father, because if there's nobody here who hasn't been born again, I'm not sure what we're missing in terms of evangelism. But Father, we begin with those who have never been born again. And with the simple crying out of faith in Jesus, hearing and believing, Lord Jesus, that You died for us and You rose again. And You promised we can be born again. So I offer anyone here who has never been born again that opportunity this morning to ask, to seek, to knock right now and be born again. But for the vast majority of us here who have been born again, Father, would You pour out Your Spirit? Would You cause us, Lord, because You already reside here, to give us open hearts to receiving the Spirit of the living God? That we might walk in the Spirit and live out lives of grace to which we have been called. Receivers of the promise simply by hearing with faith. Lord, we worship You and we are so thankful to You. This intimacy is far beyond anything You have ever promised. And we live now and breathe and move with the Spirit of God. And in that intimate relationship, we say in our hearts, and say this in your heart to the Lord this morning, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, pour out the Spirit of Your Son. In Jesus' name, Amen. The Bible tells us that the Spirit and the Bride say come. And that's because the Spirit is resident in the Bride. And the Spirit strengthens the Bride to say come. And so as we keep worshiping this morning, I want to invite you to come. Come to the table and receive communion. 
a proclamation of the, of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, as we take of those elements of, of bread and juice, body and blood of Christ, we come as the bride to share and think about what Jesus has done and how He has moved. And so come to the table. But if you're not a believer this morning, as we've already prayed for you, if you're asking God to be born again, we say to you, come. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Come forward. Go to any one of the tables and there will be people there to pray with you and to welcome you into the family of God. And if you are one who says, I was born again, but I have been striving for years and I can't figure this thing out and I don't have the strength, then come to the table of the Lord and you'll be prayed for to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the peaceful transfer of power and the powerful transfer of peace. So won't you come?